Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people. And we come to continue to celebrate the resurrection of your son. We come to hear and worship you. We come to be shaped into the people who know you better through your son and follow him. We ask today that the words from these, these passages we've heard will, will transform our hearts and draw us closer to you. We ask this in your son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. One of the more popular toys uh, for our kids is puzzles. I know puzzles have been around a long time uh, for kids. Probably one of the earlier toys when there was as many options as there is today. There's always been puzzles. And uh, one of the most annoying things about puzzles is when a piece is missing, right? Especially if it's uh, you know, a 500-piece jigsaw puzzle you get out of the, out of the closet and it's a... Maybe a rainy day or something. And so you're like, we're going to put this puzzle together. And you get to the end and there's one piece missing. And it's just frustrating because you know you've completed it, but it's not complete. And with kids, uh, it's easy for their pieces to go missing. We have a couple of those bigger puzzles that are, I think one's 48 and one's 50 pieces, but you put them on the ground. So the pieces are huge. And what we'll try to do is one of the kids will want to do it. And then before we know it, little Castiel wants to get in there. And he starts to get the pieces, and he starts to chew on them, and he starts to go everywhere with them. Then before we know it, some are under the couch. And then what is it that I have to do, or Megan, after the kids go to bed? We have to sit there and count, at least I do. She might not do this. I sit there, and I'll count every piece to make sure it's there. And if they're not there, you got to look for it. There's nothing worse than a piece missing from a puzzle. That's, I mean, I think that. It's probably, at some point, maybe I'll just be like, it's not worth it. But at this point, I still count the pieces. (laughs) But what's interesting, we use this idea of a missing puzzle piece in other ways, too. Sports teams will talk about that one missing piece. I just saw a headline the other day about the Philadelphia Phillies, the baseball team. And it said after 14 games, there's clearly missing pieces. Meaning that they spend a lot of money on Bryce Harper, one of the best players in the game. And they don't have a team that can win. Uh, Because they're missing important players to be a good team. Missing pieces. We'll talk about this maybe if you like to design or create things. And you design a room and you're like, there's one missing piece to make this room perfect. Or I need to do one upgrade to this room. One missing piece. Now I'm not sure if the first century had puzzles. I don't know if there was puzzles in the first century. That's something I didn't look into. If there were puzzles, I'm sure the average person didn't have them. But they still understand the idea of a missing piece and trying to solve a puzzle to make sense of something. Now, in the first century, there was a puzzle that the Jewish people were trying to figure out. And this was the puzzle of their story, the story of God. And they had all these promises from the Old Testament, from their scriptures, about someone who would come and save them because they were under the rule of Roman, Roman, Roman Empire. And they wanted to return to freedom. They wanted to have a king of their own. They wanted to be a nation blessed again by God and not taxed by Rome. 
That's what they waited for. And so there was this missing piece to make them again a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, to remove them for the, from their rebellion. And they were looking for this peace, and they hadn't figured out what the peace was. But they knew it was a, probably going to be a person who would come on behalf of God, and they're waiting for this person. Now, this is when Jesus steps into the story. He steps into the story, and what we're going to see is that what Jesus claims to be is that missing piece. That's his claim. He says, you know this story we've all been living. I'm the missing piece because Jesus completes the story of God. Jesus completes the story of God. And that's what we're going to see today. So if you want to open up to Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 48, in the Pew Bible, that is on page, so it's Luke 24, 36 through 48. And that starts on the very, very end of I'm on chapter 23. 24, yeah, so chapter 24 starts on page 1506. It looks like you have to go to the next page to find verse 36. Or actually one more page over. 1508, there we go. Now you'll have it. (laughs) So this is where we're at, Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 48. Now before we look at this, we have to understand what's going on. This is the end of Luke's gospel. And this is the day of Jesus' resurrection. So this is the, Luke, the way that Luke tells the story. In the morning, some women go to the tomb and they discover it empty. They go to tell the disciples and then in, in Luke's account, Peter goes and finds the tomb empty. And then right after Peter finds the tomb empty, the story cuts to these two men walking on the road to Emmaus. Now Emmaus is a city about seven miles from Jerusalem. So you could walk that in a day. They're walking And then these two men have a third man who joins them. And this third man begins to talk to them. And they say, you don't know what's been going on. And they say, there's this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who we followed, who was crucified by the Romans. But then this morning, some of the women, a part of our group, came and told us that his body was missing. The tomb was empty and he was resurrected. So that's what these two men tell this third person. And then the third person says, do you not understand that the Hebrew scriptures said that this needed to happen to the Messiah? And then this third person walks these two men through the scriptures. And then they get to Emmaus and they insist that this third person come and eat dinner with him. So this person sits down with the two men. He says a prayer. He breaks the bread. And all of a sudden these men's eyes are opened. They realize the person with them was Jesus. And then he's gone. So those two men turn around, go back to Jerusalem that night. So they just walk seven miles. They're going back to Jerusalem. And they find the disciples to tell them what they've seen. So at this point in Luke's gospel, no one except for these two men has seen Jesus. And then this is what happens, starting with verse 36. I need to turn this on. While they were still talking about this, talking about what the two men had said, they're still trying to figure it out. This is what happens. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So they're trying to figure out what's going on. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears with them. So this is the first time that any of the close disciples of Jesus, as in the 12, maybe 15 or 16 closest people with him, see Jesus. And this is their reaction. They were startled and frightened at thinking they saw the ghost. 
He said to them, why are you troubled and why do you doubt? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as, I, as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So Jesus appears and he shows them, look, I'm the same man who hung on the cross. Here's my hands, here's my feet. You can see the scars. And he doesn't stop there. He says, and while they were still, they still did not believe because of the joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. So not only does he say touch and look, he says, do you have anything to eat? I have a body like yours and I still need to eat. Now a minor note about this is important. It shows us that Jesus did actually have a bodily resurrection and that his body is very similar to our body. Now that's just a side note, but it's an important detail that Luke and John both tell at different times. That his disciples saw Jesus eat after the resurrection. But the point being, this is the same Jesus. He is human. He has a body. And his body does at least need food or can, he can eat food. Now he, believe, now he appears to his followers. And just like we saw last week, he's appearing for a reason. It's not just a social visit. This is what he says next. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He's not going to address their unbelief. He says, look, I've already told you about this before. This had to happen as it's written in the scriptures. And then this is what he does next. Just like he did on the road to Emmaus. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. Now this is Jesus summarizing what the entire Old Testament points to, the entire Hebrew scriptures. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And he says this. He says, you are witness of these things. A couple of things to notice here. What, he de- what Jesus does is he shows his disciples. He says, my life, death, and resurrection are all part of the story of the Hebrew scriptures. And my life, death, and resurrection is connected to that story. And then he says that you're going to be witness to that story. Now last week they were witnesses to what Jesus did. And they said, we've seen this. And John says, because you've seen this and I've seen it, I'm asking you to believe. I want you to join and have relationship or koinonia, communion, with God and with my fellow followers. But now Jesus says slightly differently, you are a witness to what I teach about myself in the scriptures. So now it's a slight difference. 
Because now, not only do the, the disciples witness what they saw about Jesus, but they witness to how he explains who he is in his story. Now, this is super important. I can't say how important it is. Because Jesus' life, death, and resurrection didn't happen in a vacuum. It's not like Jesus could have come any time and just been a guy who did these things. What's important is that Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, happened in the first century. It's important that it happened in Jerusalem. It's important that it happened to a Jewish man who was born into the line of David. All of what happened in Jesus' life points to the Hebrew Scriptures. And it shows that Jesus fulfilled the hope of the Jewish people. It's so important for us to understand that Jesus was that missing puzzle piece. The one whom the Jewish people could look to and see that this is the person we're waiting for. Because Jesus completes the story of God. Without the full story, we don't understand why Jesus did what he did. We can't have Jesus without the Hebrew scriptures. We can't understand what the gospels say without the Hebrew scriptures. The gospels explain and build upon that story and show how Jesus completed it. Now Luke, remember he wrote the book of Acts too. So Luke reiterates this in Acts very early on. We heard this earlier, but look. When Peter saw this, he said to them, and what he saw was that, that they did not believe that he was able to heal somebody. He says, Philip, Israelites, why are you surprised? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. So again, it's about Jesus and it's about the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Hebrew scriptures and the, the people in that story. He handed him, you handed him, Jesus, over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. You are witnesses of this, or we are witnesses by, of this, right here, of his, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold, right here, through all the prophets saying that the Messiah must suffer. Luke, again, is telling the same story. But now it's not Jesus doing miracles, it's his disciples. John and Peter heal a man, and the crowd's surprised, and he says, why are you surprised? I act in the name of Jesus. And because I act in the name of Jesus, whom God has risen from the dead, I have the power to act. He said, you acted in ignorance, but now you've seen what God has done. You had him killed, your leaders did, but now God has raised him from the dead. You can no longer be ignorant. And Peter says, look, we've been healing in his name. He's the one that God talked about that would fulfill the prophets. 
So again, this story about Jesus being connected to the Old Testament because Jesus completes the story of God. Now this is the thing about this. Jesus is completing the story of God isn't the end, it's the beginning. Look what they say next. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Jesus comes to complete the story of God. And then he calls people to repent and follow him. There's still the question, though, of what is he repenting from? What are we repenting from? Now, the gospel of or John's letter makes this clear. He starts with this way. He says, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. And what he means here is those who look to Jesus and follow him have received God's love and been made children of God. And then he says that because they have been made children of God, they have hope that they will be purified in Jesus just like he is purified Those who follow Jesus become pure like Jesus is pure. But what are they being made pure from? This is the question. And this is what John says. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might, right here, take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now this is confusing. I understand that. We have to make sense of what John is talking about. So what the purity is offered from, being made pure from sin. Now the way we can also talk about that is freedom from sin. But what does it mean to be in sin or not in sin? Now this is really what I don't think we understand. Because what we tend to do is we get confused because in our world, in the way we've heard this talked about in church in the last hundred years within the Christian church, specifically in Protestantism in America, is this call to repent from personal sin. So we think about sin as something personal and as something that we do. Now that is part of the story, but it's not the whole story. There's more to the story. And when we talk about it that way, we're putting the cart before the horse. Instead, when you think about it this way. So this is the beginning. There's the garden, and the garden is a place where God says, be obedient to my way. And then humans get put in the garden. But in the middle of the garden, right, is this tree. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now the decision that humans have to make is, are they going to be obedient to the way of God? Or are they going to look at that tree and say, okay, I'm going to choose to rebel against the way of God. And of course, we know what happens is that humans rebel and the result is exile. So what we see right here is these two ideas. The garden, the presence of God, koinonia, what we talked about last week, is in the garden. But humans say, okay, I don't want to obey God. I want to make my own choice. So they end up in exile. They get sent out of the presence of God. Now another way of talking about this is life and death. This is how John tends to talk about it. The way of Jesus is life. 
Sin or the way of the world is death. Or we could put it one more way. Actually, the words aren't coming up. I'm skipping around. So this is the way that it can also be talked about. So sin is this position that we're in. We're in this place of sin. So what that means, no matter what you do, you're in sin. It's more of a place, a position in relation to God. Because life is over here in the way of Jesus. Now you can choose the way of Jesus. Now the Old Testament was this way of living in life. But the thing is, you were still over here in sin, in death. But now this is where the cross comes in. Because the cross bridges that gap. And no longer do humans have to live in sin and death. They can now choose life through Jesus. And then they end up over here. And then this is how the story ends. The humans that were in death and exile and rebellion in sin in the way of the world are now back in life. They're back in the garden. This is koinonia, what we talked about, the presence of God. This is where harmony exists with humans around us. It's a return to the garden. Of course, in, the old, in New Heaven's New Earth language, it's a holy city that has a garden in it. But this is the goal of the story. And it all hinges on Jesus in the middle. He says, I am the reason that you get life. And then he says, if you follow me, I show you the life, the way of life. And that's obedience to the way of Jesus. And this is how Jesus completes the story of God. It's a story about getting back to the garden. It's a story about being in God's presence, his koinonia, having fellowship and communion with him. It's about living in harmony with other humans. And Jesus completes the story of God. Now this is the witness that the disciples give us. And that's what the witness of the New Testament is. It's the Gospels, the story of Jesus, showing how he completes the story of God. And then it's the first century followers of Jesus trying to figure out how they live life in this new reality. Because what we could do, and I didn't do this, is we could overlap these circles. And then actually we're living somewhere in the middle here. Where we're life in the garden, but we're still in the world of sin and death. And the first century Christians are trying to figure out how to live in that overlap and follow the way of Jesus. Because Jesus completes the story of God. So the question today, again, it's the question since the first week. Are we going to repent? Are we going to turn from our rebellion, from sin, from the way of the world, from this circle here? Are we going to turn Back to the way of Jesus. Are we going to become children of God? Are we going to return to the harmony of the garden? Are we going to return to fellowship, koinonia, with God and with his people? That's the question. Are we going to follow the way of Jesus and repent and return to living life like the garden? And remember, why is all this possible? It's all possible because of this right here. Not just that Jesus died on the cross, but then he was brought back to life. Jesus completes the story of God 
This leads to freedom, but we must repent. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you as your people. We look at this story that is fulfilled in your son, this story that we're a part of, and we ask that you'd help us to understand it. That we could become witnesses to this story. That we could become intimately familiar with it through studying it and immersing our lives in it. And learning to live according to the wisdom that comes out of it as we follow your son. And follow the, the one who gave us freedom and offered us a life out of sin. But also who says, if you want to live in this world, you're going to live the way that I've asked you to live. In the garden. And if you want to know how to do that, he says, follow me. May we follow your son today. And Heavenly Father, we ask this all in his name, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.